Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. How do we grow? You know, sometimes we look at it and there's some of you who have been Christians for a really long time and you maybe don't see much growth or it's been the same old, same old for a long time. Or there are some of you who are pretty brand new and everything, you just keep soaking it up and, and some things don't seem to change or big things change in your, in your seeing growth, but you still feel like, man, I'm not completely rooted. And it's funny that as we keep on going on, we, we have to at some point just trust that God has got everything under control. That as we continue to be with him and continue to open up his word, that there is growth and it is happening. But out of the verse that we are looking at today, in, in, I think Paul could answer the kind of the same question. It's going, how do I know that I'm growing? How do I know that what I'm doing is making sense? How do I see the big picture of it all? And it happens actually as he's uh, going along to other communities. And we've been talking about Acts for a really long time that, man, that we're watching God just kind of set up his church. And Paul finds himself in another town. And he finds himself working. And, and if you brought your Bibles with me, with you today, why don't you open up to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. But before we read that, here's the whole point of Acts is that it, God is setting up a people to be his witness everywhere. And Acts 1.8 says this over and over again. We read it together. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the goal of the church. The goal of the church that people outside would know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we find Paul in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 20 together this morning. And this is what it says. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior region until he reached Ephesus, on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied, we haven't heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you receive, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John, John's Baptist called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. How cool is this? Is people have been baptized by John by going, hey, we're repenting from our sin, but for who knows how long they've been sitting there waiting for something, but just doing, and, and maybe they don't understand the growth that's happening, but they know this is what we're supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden, somebody comes along and says, man, believe in Jesus Christ. And it's super easy to do that, right? Yep, we believe, absolutely. We've been waiting for this. We're baptized, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they have power. And it goes on to say, Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting the message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. 
Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall in Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when his when handkerchiefs or aprons that he had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases. The evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews, so I'm, I'm going to stop there, sorry. The whole entire time what is going on, and, and I could go into great detail, but I, I'm not going to, is Paul, there's basically three kind of sections of the day. Okay, so from about uh, 7 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock, people are doing their work, and then it becomes hot, and so they take a break from 11 to 3, and then, uh, or 11 to 4 in some places that I read. So Paul would work from 7 o'clock in the morning till 11, then he would go to the great hall of Tyrannus, and then he would be persuading people to follow Jesus. And then at four o'clock, he would go back to work. And so what was happening is people were finding that the, the, the handkerchiefs that he was using to wipe off his sweat, people would take while he was working, and they would go be uh, going around and doing some of these things. And the reason why, uh, doing the healings, and the reason why Paul wasn't going to do these in himself is because later on when we read in Ephesus, he did not want to be a burden to the people in Ephesus. He wanted to prove to them that God's way, that God's working would still continue to go without him needing them to uh, basically keep on supporting him. And so he was trying to prove to them that God would continue to continue to work through him even though he wasn't uh, always preaching. And so that was the whole point, that he did not want to become a burden to the church there, which is beautiful because it just goes to show that God is continually doing things in the midst of us and it doesn't have to be us. It is completely God. And so it goes on to say this, and this is a different group, and I love how now the transition goes, here's what happens to the group that wants to be all about making money for what they're doing. I love this story. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Talk about name dropping right? Like, ah, I know this dude who knows this dude. Can you let me in? And then it says, seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Can you imagine this scene? You try as much as you can, or these guys try as much as they can to say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you to leave. And the, guy, and the evil spirit says, I don't know you, and you have no clue the power that I have right now. You do not take this seriously whatsoever. And, he, and one guy beats them up so badly and sends them out naked. Unbelievable. I just think of like Looney Tune cartoons on that one for some reason. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. 
A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sin, their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books were several million dollars. So the message about the Lord's spread widely and had a powerful effect. Afterwards, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. Would you pray with me? Hey God, as we just open up your word, would we see that you are growing us? Would we see where our allegiances lie? Would we see that we are taking this seriously or not taking this seriously? Would we be able to put aside the things that are keeping us from you? And God, would you show us our hearts this morning as we open up to your Holy Spirit? In your holy name we pray, amen. I wanna ask you a question today um, to start out is, do you have undivided attention when it comes to Jesus? There's this, uh, there's this scene in one of my favorite movies called The Incredibles. And the whole entire family is sitting at this dinner table together and uh, they're all talking about how their day is and the mom is feeding the, the little baby and the two kids are trying to talk about their day and the dad is sitting at the very end of the table and he's re- trying to read different things and try, uh, read the newspaper and trying to figure out what's going on in life because, you know, uh, if you've never seen it, uh, he's a retired superhero and so uh, he's like, he's Mr. Incredible. Right, and so super strong, can't fly, which is a problem, but we'll, if you want to talk about that, we'll talk later. But anyway, so he can't fly, and uh, he's incredibly strong, indestructible, all those different things, and he's sitting there going, he's like contemplating life, right? And so uh, his wife says, looks over at their son Dash, who has superpowers to run all over the place super fast, and uh, she said, oh, so you got caught in the... Uh, into the principal's office for putting a tack on your teacher's seat, right? And he's like, ah, oh, well, if the camera, if they wouldn't have slow-moed the camera, I would never have been caught. And so, like, he's sitting there helping out his son, and he's like, oh, my goodness, you never, I mean, just, and then all of a sudden, the plate breaks, right? And, like, the meat goes flying, and he just gets frustrated, and his wife is just, his, his wife is going, why can't we just be a normal family? And he's just like, I'm just going off on his own, and he finds what's, what's going he finds like what's actually happening to all the superheroes that are disappearing and all this different stuff. And while that's going on, his mind is not there. And while that's going on, there becomes a huge fight in their living room or in their dining room. And she yells, Bob, it's time to engage, right? Which just to let you know, this is a really famous line in my household. When I'm not engaged in the things, Virginia says, Bob, it's time to engage, and I know that I got to stop what I'm doing and go do something else. It's time to engage. And all of a sudden, he comes storming out of the kitchen, and he goes, you want me to engage? Fine, I'll engage. And he, like, picks up the table with all the kids all hanging on it and, and all this different stuff. And then, all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. They set the table down. Everybody gets, like, positioned quickly, and they're like, come in. 
we're like all perfect, right? But the thing about the, that scene that I just love the most is this, is in the moment when he was supposed to have undivided attention to his family, to be with his family, to be the incredible for his family, he's not. I think it's kind of like us when we just get involved in things that are, that are going on and we kind of seem to kind of give God maybe our little five to ten minutes, which is a good thing, but yet, man, for the rest of the day, we don't give him our attention. It's kind of like when my daughter was trying to tell me a story the other day and I just wasn't paying attention to her and she finally grabs my cheeks. Dad, I'm trying to talk to you, Right? I wonder if sometimes God is trying to over and over again go, would you just give me your undivided attention? Would you not be thinking about all of the other things that need to be done, but actually give me your attention? But how does that relate to what's going on in this story of Paul's life? And, and here's what I think is kind of interesting. In this moment, we see Paul not as this, for me, we see Paul not as this superhero guy who's able to do everything, but he's sitting there going, I have to balance everything. I have to do work. I have to, uh, not I have to, I've been called to do work. I've been called to preach Jesus and continually go on with what I feel like God has called me to do. The problem is, is that's really easily able to get derailed, isn't it? Man, I'm tired. I don't want to go and preach Jesus. And I, I don't want to deal with those people who treat me poorly because I'm not building the tent good enough for them. He goes on in a lot of his other books go, hey, are you seeking peace in everything you're doing? Are you trying to out-honor other people? Or are you just simply only focused on what's going on with you and, and you don't really care about anybody else? You see, he's been preaching this whole entire message of, hey, would you guys please come to Christ? Would you turn and trust him? Would you repent? And so it means that becoming a Christian means that first we see the sinful stuff in ourselves and we go, we are sorry for that. And then we trust that the process that God is working with us is working. Man, God, I'm stuck here for two years. I've been doing this for two years long, and I don't see really much growth happening here. But I'm trusting your process. I'm trusting what's going on. And then, thirdly, being a Christian is hoping, right? We are hoping that what we're doing is, is, is grounded in the hope of Jesus Christ, that one day we will be in heaven with him. But then we kind of go into the next, this next story, right? He's been teaching people, follow Christ, and then building tents for two years, doing all of these things. And then all of a sudden we see this story in which these seven guys are going around and trying to actually profit off of God a little bit. And so they're walking around and they try to, and they are successful sometimes, right? In, in, uh, they wouldn't be doing this for more than, uh, more than a couple of times if it wasn't somewhat successful coming into this spot. And so they come into this spot and this demon is saying, hey, wait a second, I don't know you. And I wonder if in that moment that they could have said, or anybody could have said, 
the problem with you guys is that you have divided attention. You seem to know who Jesus is and you seem to know who Paul is, but you don't want to follow either of what they're saying. You just want to be able to use their name. And so if you're taking notes with me this morning, the very first note that you can place in, in your bulletin is this, is that, man, let us be very careful about using the name of Jesus without knowing the personhood of Jesus. It's really easy for us to say, yep, me and Jesus are tight. We're good. He's my Savior. And we don't even know the personhood of Jesus. We don't know what he's calling us towards. We don't know what we're trusting him with. And even the power that comes with that. See, if we're simply just using Jesus as this uh, divided attention, if you will, I, I don't think we ever get to tap into that power. I mean, the demon clearly shows, yep, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, and I know what they stand for. But you've got nothing because you don't really know him. I wonder how many of us in this room are just at that point that we need major change in our lives, but we have no desire to really know what Jesus is trying to accomplish in our hearts. I mean, if we could just have that little bit more attention to Christ, how much power would be through us? And not for the power's sake of us having power. That's not what I'm saying. I think for the sake of realizing that with him is so much better than without him. I think there is a correlation in this story that with him, I don't get beat up and look like I'm running around like a naked wild man. You see, I think it brings us to the next point, that understanding that Christ is more important than the sway of other things in our hearts. That Christ is more important than the sway of other things in our hearts. And I'm telling you that every time I either write a sermon or really have a lot of, heart, uh, a lot of time to think about these things, it's unbelievable how much pops up into my life about going, yep, this is where you don't have undivided attention, Seth Runner. Can I ask you what the first thing you did this morning when you woke up? Because I'll tell you the first thing that I did this morning when I woke up is I got out of bed and I thought, man, I got a sermon to, uh, to write. Um, I'm just joking. I don't write my sermons on Sunday mornings. I got, a, I got a sermon to kind of really think about, and so I went into the bathroom, and I started my daily routine, and it's usually sitting on the toilet scrolling through Instagram, right? And if it's not Instagram, I find some sort of soap bottle, right, so that I can read it, because you can't just sit there by yourself doing nothing, right? So it gets awkward. Or it's maybe, hey, what's an uh, episode that I can look at on a device. My son Silas, as I was putting on my shoes this morning and walking out the door, the very first thing he said to me is, hey, can I play Farming Simulator? Not good morning, Dad. 
Not, hey, I read my 12 devotionals this morning. I am ready to now play Farming Simulator. And I got mad at him. I was like, how often do you know that we tell you maybe you should just pick up a book and read? Maybe you should have, uh, maybe you should maybe do devotions. How about get dressed, make breakfast? I don't know. And I got, I got mad at him and I went outside and I started shoveling. And, and as I was sitting there going, God, why? Why does Silas have undivided attention? And then I remembered this phrase of my, uh, one of my mentors in youth pastor. He said, you have to remember that more is caught than taught. And so in my mind, I was sitting there going, all right, Silas does exactly what you do, except for he's not sitting on the toilet. He just goes and plays FS. Does he see me reading scripture? Does he see me picking up a book? But it goes into more other things than just the morning time. When you're at work, how you react to people, how we react to people. What are we teaching? Or what are we being caught doing? Something frustrates us and we get mad and upset and we just throw up our hands and we just completely throw all things out the window. We don't try for peace and we, we just lose our temper. And so when I ask, when I say this thing is Christ is more important than the sway of other things in our hearts, it's not mainly about stuff. It's not about stuff. It's about do I continually focus on how my attitude is going, how, what I'm doing, do I realize that God is always around me? Or do I just simply go, oh, well, God said he would be with me, so I'm just going to keep going on my day. Or do I invite God continually with me because I understand the power of undivided attention? I'll give you a little bit of an example is when this happened, when these guys get, uh, when these guys get, big, uh, get beat up and sent out naked, everybody around them goes, oh my goodness, God has power and we are going to give him our attention so much so that the people that Paul had been working with, who had been asking, are these guys even growing? Are they even paying attention? They basically have a book-burning party that day. Because in the town of Ephesus, is tons of sorcery is going on. And so the people realize that the power that they've been trying to produce on their own or the things that have held sway over their hearts were not where they needed to have their attention focused. And so they have a, literally, a, a book-burning party. They take all their sorcery books and they throw them in the fire. Now, I know that I'm notoriously not that good at math with you guys for a long time, so I've double-checked this a couple times. And so we're going to do some math together today. So in your notes, here's the deal. On one version, it says, on a couple, uh, not version, but a couple translations, it says that they threw the equivalent of 50,000 pieces of silver in the fire that day. Okay? So in that first little blank that you have in your sermon notes, go ahead and write 50,000. We're going to make this look like what it would look like today. And so one piece of silver was a day's wage. 
one piece of silver was a day's wage. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do 50,000 days times eight hours per day equals, that equals 400,000 working hours. That equals 400,000 working hours. So 400,000 times, and we're just going to have uh, a little bit of fun with this. We're going to go the lowest common denominator. So the, uh, the starting wage in Montana is $8.50 an hour. Okay, so 400,000 times $8.50 an hour equals $3.4 million. That day, they decided that God was so important that they took... million and threw it in the fire. Can I ask you what time, talents, or treasures have power over us or that we're numb to that we should be throwing in the fire right now that doesn't even come close to $3.4 million? That's the closest, that's like, yeah. There are some of you that probably make way more than $8.50 an hour. That blows my mind. What sort of undivided attention do I give God? What holds sway over my heart? And it's not just money. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that's why I said what time, talents, or treasures. Because we get into arguments with our spouses sometimes, right? And we say, and our spouse goes, well, yeah, fine, you're right. And I go, that's, that's not the point. I do, I'm not trying to be right. I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm not trying to be uh, the most truthful. I'm not trying to be better than you. I'm not trying to say that my way is better, all of those things. But there's something in our hearts that do want to do that sometimes. Could we set our pride and our arrogance to the side and go, man, I am wanting as much peace as I possibly can. There's plenty of us in this room today that, man, we're addicted to a lot of things. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, we're workaholics. We wanna be right. We think that we're the people that are fix-it people, and so we do whatever we can to fix whatever, and we work tirelessly to do those things, and we don't listen to the voice of God going, would you please, would you please give me your undivided attention, and I will teach you. How to work with all things, how to be a better father, a better spouse, a better mother, a better coworker, And it's all for the express purpose of not to say, how cool am I, but it's the express purpose of going, we want to give God glory. Because all the other things we've been trying to do ourselves are not what God is calling us to do. And in fact, actually, most of the time we find out that we fall incredibly short when we don't give God our undivided attention. We're so stuck in our sins that we don't even see, actually we don't even get to live out the purpose that God has called us to do. There's this story from uh, Soren Kiergaard who is a Danish philosopher and he tells this uh, parable one time of a wild duck. 
And this is the story he says. He says, a wild duck landed in Danish barnyard where there were tame ducks. Enjoying some of their corn, he stayed for an hour, then a day, then a week, then a month. Finally, relishing the good fare and safety of the barnyard, he stayed all summer. One autumn day when his wild duck friends were winning, the, were, were winning their way to southward again, they passed over the barnyard and the duck heard their cries. He felt the thrill of joy and delight and with great flapping of wings, he tried to harrow himself into the air to join his old comrades in flight. But he found that his good fare had made him so soft and heavy he could no longer rise higher than the eaves of the barn. So he dropped back down again to the barnyard and said to himself, oh well, my life is safe here and the food is good. Every spring and autumn when he heard the wild ducks honking, his eyes would gleam for a moment and he would begin to flap his wings. But finally the day came when the wild duck flew over and under their, when the wild ducks flew over him and under their cry, but he paid not the slightest attention to them at all. Kent Hughes goes on to say, if God is calling us, whether for salvation or for increased service, by all means, we ought to respond now. Perhaps he is asking us to say, I'm willing to spend or be expended. Or perhaps he is calling us to lay aside some personal goals, some entertainment, or even some vices. We must respond with a life-giving yes while we still hear his voice. What in our lives are holding sway? And what are we willing to give up to say, God, here is my undivided attention? And I just want to close with how do we do that then? How do we give undivided attention? So the first one is this, is that, and this is once again from Kent Hughes, and I love this guy. He's probably one of my favorite authors. If you uh, haven't picked up a book, he writes a book called Disciplines of a Godly Man and Disciplines of a Godly Woman. Fantastic books if you uh, want to uh, pick them up, but that's not where this is from. But the first one is this, is if we long for the power of Christ in our lives, here's what we need to do. The first one is yield to the, power, yield to the Spirit's prompting. Surrender daily to Him. Don't go another day without spending time with God. For some of you, or for some of us, we go days, and then we quickly catch up, right? We spend one whole day maybe reading a whole bunch of chapters. Or we give him the obligatory, hey, God, here's my flare prayer. We're done for the day. But actually spending time yielding to the Spirit. Maybe that for some of us looks like we do a journal and just write down things. God, this is what I'm working on today. God, would you tell me what I need to do? There's maybe even a question that you guys have is, hey, I'm struggling with this, God. I'm not moving until you tell me what to do. And so we can sit and wait for it. I have a journal that um, I'm really, I'm not a journaler, but I, I've started the process of writing down four questions every day. God, where do I need to be to uh, help out my spouse today? Where do I need to be here for my children today? What do I need to learn today? And, and would you please help me set up where I'm going? 
And so I just journal, and then, and then after I'm done with that, then I actually go into my work journal. Okay, these are the things I need to do today. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. I can't miss this. I can't miss that. All of those things. Maybe for some of you, it is simply just meditating on one verse and picking one verse and saying, God, I'm just going to wait here and, and write down all my thoughts about this. Maybe it's for some of you, you never picked up a devotional, and if you want one, there's the Our Daily Breads that you can even start with, and that's just a springboard into reading lots of Scripture. But are you yielding to the Spirit's prompting? Are you spending time with God in His Word, with God in personal time? Or are you just hoping that God takes care of you? God, thanks for the next day. Great sunset or great sunrise. I'm going to keep moving on. The next thing that um, is coming up is confess specific sins. As you're with God and as God is moving you and growing you, I hope that as you're sitting there, God is revealing, hey, this is where you're away from me. This is where you've maybe kind of veered off a little bit and need to come take a step back. Are you agreeing with him? Are you saying, God, thank you for showing me my sins? And name them. Shoot, materialism, sensuality, idolatry, pride, lying, bitterness, coldness of heart. It's pretty hard to sometimes, but I think we need to be honest with ourselves and go, God, this is definitely where I am not in line with you. Third one is, is ask God to give you the strength to turn back to him. But it's only through his grace, right? It's only through us going, God, you've given me this grace to be able to do this. And so, God, these things that are holding sway over my heart, my heart I don't want them anymore. And so, God, I need your help. I love these last two. Um, I, I didn't quite understand them until I really, I mean, I, I know number four is simple, but I just didn't understand until I started diving into it more. And so number four is do whatever he tells you in his precious word. It's interesting. I have this uh, poster, actually this quote on the back of my door in my office that says, if you're not willing to go through criticism and opposition for your faith in and obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. I thought that was super simple, it was super interesting to me because my faith in and my obedience to God, my obedience to God only can come from this, his precious word, not some sort of idea that I have that I'm supposed to do for God or anything like that, but no, what is God calling me to daily? And so his word becomes about my, my lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It becomes about going, God, this is what you desire of me. Not just some good book on, hey, this is what a good father should be. But everything coming through the filter of the word of God. And the last one is this, is rest in him. And this is absolutely huge. When you're doing all these things, guess what? Some things don't go your way. The relationships that you're trying to fix, the, the um, attitudes that you're trying to have sometimes are just that much more difficult. 
But I wonder if you could leave the results to God. If you could say, God, I'm doing what you've asked me to do, and so the results are left to you. That means that I get my strength from you, that when my spouse isn't responding the way that I would love them to respond, or my children aren't responding the way that I love them to respond, or my work just isn't getting any better, or I'm trying to get rid of this sin, and God, I'm laying it over and over, but it keeps popping back up, man. If we are continually yielding to the Spirit, confessing our sin, asking for His help to uh, turn back to Him, and doing what His Word says, after that, I think we get to rest. Not just not keep on working on it, but rest in the results. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Actually, 28 through 30 says this. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I love the whole point of him going, I will give you rest. It's not just rest of going, hey, you don't have to do anything anymore. No, it's rest of going, God's got it under control. But then I couldn't feel like after I was looking at rest and, and all those things, I felt like I couldn't just leave it at that going, well, wait a second. There has to be some desire in my heart. And I realized that the, the, the whole point is, is that do I desire the undivided attention? Do I desire to give God that? And so then I started looking at, okay, so what are maybe some, some things that I, that should be kind of a, a really a, a path of my heart, if you will. And Matthew 5, 6 just coming, came back to me over and over again. And it says this, it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. In other places, it says hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Do we hunger and thirst for the right living? Or do we hunger and thirst just to feel good about what we live? I, I don't know about you, but I definitely want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it comes through yielding to the Holy Spirit, to confessing my sins, to turning back to him, over and over again to dive into his word and go god would you please help me desire this in my life and then i can rest in knowing that all the things i'm doing are going to work out paul as he's consistently as he's consistently making tents for 2 years going are these people going to get it i'm surrounded by all these people who desire some other power than the power of Jesus Christ. And he just continues to work and he lets God take care of the rest. And at the very end of this story, he gets to go, God's moving me on now. So I hope that this week and these coming months and this coming year, all, all of these things that we can look at, God, how do I help you? How do I help give you my undivided attention? Would you pray with me this morning? God, you are great. And Lord, I'm sorry for the divided attention that I've given you. 
Lord, that as I walk through life, there are some things that I know that you are calling me over and over again to, to give you the attention that you deserve, the, the knowledge that you know everything, and that you can take care of everything, and that you can give me the answers for things, and that I don't have to be weighed down by all the things that are going, around, going on, but that I have to just trust in you that I can listen to your Holy Spirit's prompting in my life, that I, can, uh, that I can look at my own heart through your Holy Spirit going, hey, change perspectives. And then that God that I could just allow my sin to be forgiven by you. And that I can do what your word says and then I can rest in the knowledge that you take care of all, everything else. God, I don't want to just simply throw out your name, but I want to know who you are. God, I, I pray that that would be the collective heartbeat of everybody in this room. And that God, that uh, we would give you our first fruits. That we wouldn't find ourselves beat up, naked, stripped, and just running around. God, we love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks. So there's this, uh, in Songs of Solomon, there's this phrase where he says his beautiful one has the eyes of a dove. And it sounds really weird because if you've ever looked at a dove's eyes, they're just black, right? Like, thanks for that compliment. Um, but one of the things about that is, is that doves have tunnel vision. And I wonder if we could have the eyes of a dove, that we would have tunnel vision to look always on God no matter what. And that we'd be so in love with God that our just, God, I'm, I'm focused on you. Here we go. That's what I pray for you guys this week and we'll be praying for you guys this week. And so uh, please, please stay with us and uh, pack shoe boxes with us and uh, eat pizza with us afterwards so that we can just have fun together. And uh, um, yeah, stay warm. We love you. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.